Today I want you to think, what is the natural response, what is the evoked response to studying the revelation? What we are learning in our study, what we are seeing in our study, what response does that cause uh, cause us to have well up inside of us? What response uh, comes from the study of the book of Revelation? Now, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the things that we are learning and seeing. Uh, maybe it could be urgency, and maybe as we've entered into this study, maybe we have a renewed sense of urgency. Or, or maybe the response is some sort of correction. Maybe we learn uh, some things that we need to set right, some things that we need uh, to do better. And so maybe it's a sense of correction. Or maybe the study, as we look at it, brings us a sense of conviction. And for sure, as we've looked at these seven churches now, maybe we are convicted in the process. Uh, maybe it is a sense of encouragement. And maybe as we study God's word, as we hear of the sure victory that we have in Jesus Christ, maybe we are emboldened. Maybe we are encouraged and our hope grows as we proceed through this study. Now, it could be many things, but I want to tell you, I think there is one response that outpaces them all. I believe there is one response that supersedes them all, and that is the response of worship. And I'll just be honest with you this morning. I really do not see how we can go through this study. I really do not understand how we can see our God and our Savior in this study and not be driven, not be pushed to worship. Now, let me tell you something. That is what we need. I'll just tell you, that is what we need as a church. That is what I need. That is what you need. And I'll just tell you, that is what our Lord is worthy of. Today we're going to come to a two-part picture of the worship that is going on and that will go on in heaven. Today we're going to look at the fourth chapter. Uh, I do not believe the fourth and fifth chapter ought to be separated. I wish uh, that we had time enough that I could preach the fourth and fifth chapter together. But instead I'm going to preach on the fourth chapter this week. Next week we're going to look at the fifth chapter. Today our sermon is entitled, Worthy of Worship... Part 1. Worthy of worship, part 1. Today we're in Revelation chapter 4, again, the entirety of the chapter, verses 1 through 11. Worthy of worship. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Worthy of worship, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he was sitting, and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. Out of the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, 
which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Holy Father, we come and we praise you today. We praise the, the name of our Lamb, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our all we come now, and as we study your word, I pray that you would open our eyes. I pray that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts. I pray, Lord, that this would be a tremendous endeavor where we see you, and more importantly, where we hear from you. I pray, Lord, that we would be changed in this hour, that we would be built up, that we would be encouraged, that we would be prepared for the hour in which we live. Lord, we come and we see you as our King, as our Savior as our gracious Redeemer, and so we exalt you, our King. Lord, we come, and again, we just lay this before you. We ask that you move. We ask that you work. I pray that your church will be strengthened. I pray that anyone not knowing Christ as Lord and Savior in the hearing of the gospel of good news, of a risen Savior, of a hope that endures, I pray that in this hour they would turn to you and they would trust you in faith and thus be saved. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you, we worship you, and in your name I pray, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You, must, you may be seated. Now I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed as well, for some reason, I guess it is built into us, people have a natural curiosity about what is going to happen next. I don't know why that is. We, we have this uh, curiosity. We want to know what is going to happen we, next. We want to know what tomorrow is going to be like. Uh, it has been 105 for 20 days, and I still got up this morning and checked my weather app to see what today was going to be like. Uh, it's going to be 107. Uh, we want to know how it's going to be. We want to know what's going to happen next. Uh, people go to palm readers. People go to mediums. They want to see what is going to happen next. People open the newspaper. They read their horoscopes. They're hoping that they would find a glimpse of what they could expect what would happen next. We want to know. We are curious by nature about what is going to happen next. Well, I want to tell you, today in our study, we are starting a section where God himself is going to tell us what we can expect. God himself is going to tell us what is next. Now, that is a wild thing 
Uh, we're, it's not just a guess. It's not just a speculation. God himself is going to tell us what comes next. Remember when we started this study, I told you one of the keys to understanding the revelation is in understanding how it is ordered. Uh, remember, I told you this revelation of Jesus that is given to John and actually occurs in three different sections. Well, understanding these three sections is going to give us a key in how to understand the book as a whole. Remember in chapter 1, verse 19, John is told, Therefore, write the things which you have seen. Write the things which you have seen. Now that was talking about chapter 1. It was the marvelous picture of Jesus. He says, write the things which you have seen. Then he say, it says, and the things which are. So the first section was chapter 1, the marvelous picture of Jesus. Then it is the things which are. Now that is recorded in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now that is a description of the church age given through Jesus' messages given to these specific seven churches. Well, I will tell you that is where we are at right now. Uh, remember when we went through those seven churches, how relevant those messages were, how timely those messages were given to them and yet applying to us today. And so understand that is our day. We are in the church age. Now, I believe we're drawing near to the end of the church age, but that is the day that we are in. Then in that verse 19 it says, and the things which will take place after these things. The things which will take place after these things. Now this is talking about, that is talking about the things that are to come. Now I want you to get this. Starting in chapter 4 verse 1, these are the things that are to come. Starting in chapter 4 verse 1, these are the things that will take place. Now, understand, that is on the authority of Jesus himself. Now, I want you to see that. These things that we're about to read, these things that we're about to study, these are the things that will take place on the authority of Jesus himself. I want you to see that. I want you to imagine that this morning. Uh, we are nearing the end of the book, but the awesome thing is, we have already the end of the book. We possess the end of the story. As believers, through God's word, we know what is ahead. As believers, through God's word, we know what to expect. And I want to tell you this, and we can have joy in that. Sometimes we say, well, I'm not sure what the future is going to be, and it seems like Things are tough and things that we're having to walk through and endure are pretty terrible. I want to tell you, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know what to expect. And in that, we can take joy. All right? Let me explain verse 1. Verse 1 says this, After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet, speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now, I want you to notice here 
in the first verse, it says two different places, two different times, after these things, after these things. Now, be very clear this morning, that is referring to the things of the church. That is referring to the days of the church. Now, I want you to see this. When chapter 4 opens, the days of the church have passed. The work of the church has ended, and the ministry of the church is over. John says here he sees an open door. Now, I want you to notice this. It does not open. He doesn't say, I looked up and there was a door opening. The door is already open. And so here's what that means. That age, at the start of chapter 4, verse 1, that age, the church age, has ended. And at that point, we have now entered into the the final age. The, the, The final age has begun. We're in our study coming to the account of the consummation of the age. There's a word, eschaton. It is a word that means of end things. Understand today, we are about to read, we are about to study. What we're about to study is the God-given account of the eschaton. This is the God-given account of the end things, the end times. As I think about that, I'm kind of weird as I think about that studying this week. I keep thinking of the old R.E.M. song. It's the end of the world as we know it. Uh, Boy, is it. It's the end of the world as we know it. At this point, the church age has ended, and we now enter into the consummation of the age. All right, from here today, I'm going to break this fourth chapter into four parts, into four pieces for our study. Now, again, I wish I could include the fifth chapter with it. Uh, We'll get to it next week. But for our study today, I'm going to break this fourth chapter into four pieces, into four parts for our study. Today, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see the place of worship. We're going to see the participants in worship. We're going to see the proclamation of worship And then finally, we're going to see the recipient of worship. And so again, that's how I've structured it. That's how uh, we're going to examine it today. We're going to see the place of worship, the participants in worship, the proclamation of worship. And then last, we're going to see the recipient of worship. All right, the first thing we start with this morning is the place of worship. Now today, I want to encourage you to listen I want you to encourage to to listen with your ears, but also with your mind and with your heart engaged. Listen to these words. First, the place of worship, starting in verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. There is a throne. It says in heaven. Heaven. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Understand through John and through God's word, we have now peered into the throne room of God. We have now peered into the throne room of glory. It says, and one sitting on that throne. Now, let me be clear today. Uh, There have been many throne rooms, and you can go and you can survey the pages of history. 
You can look at the accounts of history, and there have been many throne rooms, and there have been many kings who have occupied those thrones. But I want to tell you today, there has never been a throne like the one we're about to see. There has never been a throne room remotely close to the one that we are about to observe. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. Verse 3. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Now, notice here, it doesn't give to us a description of the one on the throne except to say to us that he appeared, the one on the throne appeared like a jasper stone, and it says like a sardius. Uh, now, now, start to build your picture here. Jasper is a translucent crystal. That is what the stone jasper is. Uh, we would say that it was probably most like a diamond. And so this stone is like a diamond. It is a crystal. It is translucent. Therefore, it is sparkling. Therefore, it is shining. Uh, Sardis is a deep red stone. And so as we start to build a picture piece by piece, there is this stone that is like a diamond. And there is this other stone, and it is like a, a, a sea of deep red. The verse goes on and it says, and there was a rainbow around the throne. Now a rainbow, we know what that is. Uh, those are all of the colors of the spectrum. And so there is uh, this brilliant light like that of a diamond. There is this deep red stone. But then around the throne, there is the spectrum of color. Except it tells us here, overtaking the other colors, it says, is the colored of emerald. And so here's the spectrum of colors, but overcoming that, overtaking that, is the color of emerald. That is a rich, glowing green. And so see here, there is an explosion of color. There is the sparkling as of a diamond. There is this deep red. There is the spectrum of the rainbow. There is this emerald green that is illuminating from it. In verse 4, we're going to come back to that. It says, and around that throne, there are 24 other thrones. And so start to build the picture. Around that throne, there are 24 other thrones. All right, let's go to verse 5. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, add to this explosion of color, add to this already splendid scene, there are now flashes of of lightning. Now, it doesn't say there are storm clouds there, but coming from the throne, there are flashes of lightning. It says there are peals, there are the rumbles of thunder. There are also seven lamps of fire signifying the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want you to picture this scene. I want you to picture what we've built so far, all of the pieces. And then in the, in the midst of that, there are lightning strikes that are occurring. Have you ever been close to a lightning strike? 
Have you ever been sometime out in the field at night and there is a lightning strike and you can feel the electricity in the air and your hair stands up and it lights up the scene as far as you look? There is a lightning strike. There are strikes of them coming from the throne. Have you ever been in bed at night and maybe you're sleeping there on your pillow and there is a clap of thunder and it wakes you from your slumber? There are peals of thunder coming from the throne of God. Let me read verse 6. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. I'm going to stop right there, the first part of the verse. Now, it doesn't say that there are waves of turbulence in this sea. No, it is a sea like glass. Can you picture it? It is, it is as fine crystal. You ever watch light as it filters through a, a crystal as it reflects, as it refracts from all of the angles there. There is a sea there around the throne. It is a sea as of crystal glass. Folks, I want you to not go too fast right here. I want you to not fail to imagine this is the throne of God Almighty. I want you to picture this. This is the place of worship. All right, so we have the place of of worship. Next, I want you to see the participants in worship. The participants in worship. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you to buckle your seatbelts right here. This is pretty awesome. Uh, as we look at this, it's not going to be a simple thing. Sometimes you think, well, I want this to be a simple thing. It's not going to be a simple thing. A quick look uh, is not going to provide much detail. It is a complex thing. Uh, really, it is going to be unimaginable, the things that we're going to examine here. We're going to see who the participants are, and that's going to be an awesome thing. But I want you to also understand, before we go into it, we're going to see what they represent, and I believe that's an even more awesome thing. And so we're going to see who the particip participants are. We're also going to see who or what the participants represent. Both of those things are going to leave us, I believe, in awe. Get ready. All right, let's go to verse 4. Around the throne there were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. The Bible tells us here, around the throne there are 24 other thrones. Uh, it sounds to me like they encircle the throne. Some may uh, want to project that in a semicircle. I believe these 24 thrones surround the one throne. The Bible says on these there are seated 24 elders. It says of the 24 elders they are clothed in white garments and they have golden crowns upon their heads. Now, I will just tell you here in all fairness, there is some debate as to who these 24 elders are. Uh, there are some that say these are angels or representations of other legions of angels. Uh, I do not believe that is the case here. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe these are the 12 elders of the tribes of Israel, and I believe they are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so there are 24 seated on their thrones around the throne. I believe they are the 12 elders of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I believe that's who they are. 
I believe, however, see this, that they represent all of the redeemed of earth. I believe these 24 elders, they represent all of the redeemed of earth. The 12 elders, they represent those that were redeemed before Christ by faith in God's provision of a Savior, Jesus. And so the 12 elders of Israel, I believe those represent those that are saved by looking forward to Jesus Christ. The 12 apostles represent those that are redeemed after the coming of Christ by faith in the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus. And so I believe they represent all of those saved by faith in Jesus. I believe they represent all of the redeemed of earth. Now I want you to see this. Here they sit, and I believe they represent all of the redeemed of earth. And the Bible says they sit and they are dressed in white. White was a sign of purity. White was a sign of righteousness, of holiness. And so here is the thing. Not one of them, listen to me, not one of them had a righteousness of their own. And so as they sit there dressed in white, I want you to understand they are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus himself. Not one of them had a righteousness of their own. And as the redeemed of the earth, they sit there in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. The Bible says they had a golden crown on their head. The word for crown, it's not a king's crown. There is a Greek word for that. But again, it is the word Stephanos. It is the victor's crown. We've talked about it several times. It is the one that overcomes, the one that finishes the race. He is awarded a victor's crown. And so they are wearing a Stephanos. However, it says it is not made out of branches, but rather it is made out of branches that are woven from gold. So they have a, a victor's crown, a Stephanos, and yet it is a golden crown. They have overcome, not in their own power, not in their own might, but in the power and the work of Jesus. And so they sit in a golden crown. Now I want you to see that for a second. How awesome is that? The redeemed of earth are gathered. Sinners once stained in their own rebellion, and now they are robed in the royal righteousness of Jesus himself, and they wear not of any power, not of any willpower that they ever had, but in the work and the power of Jesus, they wear crowns of gold. There are assembled the righteous in Christ, those that have finished in Christ, those that are the redeemed of earth. That's some of the participants. There's other participants. All right, starting back in verse 6. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Verse 7, the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. Now, I read those verses, and you may be saying to yourself, what in the world is that? 
Uh, what in the world transition have we made here? Uh, I want you to go with me right here. First, understand the translation is living creatures. It most literally translates living ones. And so I want you to be sure here, these are not beasts. These are not some sort of monster. They are not objects of disgust. Rather, they are four living ones. One, the Bible says, has the face like a lion. One has the face of a calf. Some translations say like an ox. One has the face of a man, the other of an eagle. It says these living ones, these living creatures, they have six wings. Now, not only that, it says they are covered in eyes all over. Uh, one other translation says not just on their wings, but also under their wings as well. Now, understand that is a shocking description. Now, that, that really is a, a mind-blowing description, but I want to point out here that is nothing new. That is not something we have not seen or met before. Let me explain this to you. These are the cherubim. They are a special class of angels. These are the cherubim. They are also described in Ezekiel chapter 10. You can go and see the comparison there as you read Ezekiel chapter 10. Now, these angels, these cherubim, they carry out or they administer God's plan for this world. And so God has something that needs to be done. He has a plan that it's ready to unfold. They carry out, they execute, they administer God's plan for this world. You say, well, how do you know that? Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, it is the cherubim who are stationed outside of the garden to usher them out, the sinners out because of judgment, but also in God's grace to not allow them to come back in to the tree of life. They carry out God's plan on the earth. That's who they are. Now, let me tell you what they represent. And I believe it's more marvelous if it can be, then who they are. Here's what they represent. They represent all of God's created species. Now, the number four, there are four of them. That is the number of the world. Remember, they administer God's movement on the world. That is the number of the world. There are four elements. There are four winds. There are four directions on the earth. These four represent the noblest of creation, the lion, the wisest of creation, the man, the swiftest of creation, the eagle, the strongest of creation, the ox. They also represent the domestic, the ox, the wild, the lion, the fowl of the air, the eagle, and all mankind. Now, as big as that is, I want you to think about that. I want you to picture that. How awesome it is that all of creation is to glorify God. And so these angels representing the totality of God's creation, they are here now turned to God in worship, bringing him honor. And so those are the participants in worship. That then brings us to the proclamation of worship. We know the place of worship. We know the participants in worship. It now brings us to the proclamation of worship. All right, go with me to verse 8. It says this. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. 
and day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. These four cherubim, the Bible says they do not cease. Uh, it translates, they do not rest from. They do not cease. It says day and night. They say holy, holy, holy. Now that word holy, it means above. It means not like. It means set apart or separate. Now I want you to think about that. Today, our world wants to make God normal. Our world wants to bring God down to our level. We talk about the man upstairs, and we talk about him in human terms, and we want to bring God down to our level. I want to tell you, it's an awesome thing. Here at the throne, he is heaved high above all else. He is holy. He alone is holy. He's not like anyone or anything else. He is holy. At the throne of God, he is heaved above all else. The verse goes on and it says, is the Lord God. Now each of these words is packed with meaning. Is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. I want you to listen to that. I want you to hear it again. And they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Now I want you to watch this and I want you to see this. As that rings out, it says they do not tire of it, they do not rest from it, they do not cease in it. As that rings out, it evidently is far too much for the redeemed to bear. And so there they are, and they are wearing their unearned robes of God's grace. And there they are wearing the crowns that testify to the power of God Almighty. And as they listen to that, as they witness that, they can bear it no more. Verse 9. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. I want you to see it here. It's unfolding. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. I want to look very quickly at those words. Glory means renown. It means splendor. And so they give renown. They give splendor, glory to him. It says in honor. The word here for honor means to ascribe the highest value. It means to ascribe the weightiest weight. It means to ascribe the priciest price. And so they give honor the highest value, the, the highest price. And it says thanks. That is a great expression of gratitude. Now I'll just tell you, I wonder as I look at this scene, I wonder if these redeemed are remembering. No angel was ever brought back 
from the price of sin. No ox is given the righteousness of Christ to wear. No eagle, no matter how high his soars, ever gave his sin to the Savior of Calvary. And I wonder if they sit there, if they start to wonder, how will they outthink us? How will they ever outdo us? And I believe they can't bear it any longer as they hear the praise. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, verse 10, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, I read the word for cast here is most likely not an act of aggression. It's not an aggressive act. Most likely the word that's used here for cast, it means to drop. It means to lay. I, I found, I think, the most literal translation, it means to open your hands and to roll it into place. And I, I wonder if these, the redeemed of earth, as they sit there, are they thinking what crown should I ever wear, a sinner apart from Christ? What crown should I ever wear? I wonder what, if they're thinking, what gold should I hold, a traitor apart from Jesus Christ? I wonder if they're thinking, what honor should I have? I should have no honor, not in this place, not in this crowd. And I wonder as they sit there, oh, no, I shouldn't have a crown. Oh, I shouldn't be the one with honor. Oh, I shouldn't hold this gold. And they open their hands and they roll it to the one of whom glory is due casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. What crown should I have? What gold should I wear? Oh, there's my God. And they open their hands and roll their crowns. Verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of you, they existed and were created. I want you to listen to that again. Listen to verse 11 again. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Created. Those are the declarations of praise. That brings us to the best part, I believe, of this message today. I believe the best part of these verses this morning, and that is the recipient of worship. The recipient of worship. Now, let me go ahead and tell you before we start this last section, this also is very deep. And I want to tell you, I, I don't know that I've ever felt the limitation of words in trying to describe something. This is too deep. It is too deep to pass with a fast drive-by or pass-by, but we're going to try this morning. We're going to see the recipient of worship. On that throne, go with me, on that throne is clearly God the Father. Before that throne, shown in the seven lamps of fire, there is the Holy Spirit 
of God. And so on the throne is God the Father. There in the seven lamps, flaming lamps, lamps of fire, there is the Holy Spirit of God. In chapter 5 next week, we're going to see Jesus, the Lamb, is there as well. Now, I want you to see this. The word holy is spoken three times. Now, I want you to understand, it is not spoken three times for emphasis. God is the highest expression of holiness. And so it doesn't need to be repeated three times for emphasis. It is repeated three times for specific address. Now, let me show you what's happening here. They look at the Father and they say, holy. And they look at the Spirit and they say, holy. And they look into the Lamb and they say, holy. And so when you put it together, it is holy, holy, holy. Then the verse tells us, The Trinity is sewn up in the unity of God. It says the Lord God. That is singular. So you have holy, 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 and now it is sewn up in the singular Lord God. It says the Almighty, also singular. Understand this morning, the focus of, the target of, and therefore the recipient of this room of worship is our Trinitarian God. Let me read verse 11 again. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Now, I want you to see this. I'm going to walk you through this. Our God is eternal God. Now, I want you to put this together. Our God is eternal God. Verse 9 says, Him who lives forever and ever. It translates to the ages of the ages. The praise of verse 8 says, Who was and who is and who is to come. Be very sure today, our God is eternal God. He has no beginning. He has no start. He will have no end. He is before all, and so understand, He is above all. He is eternal God. Now go with me. He is eternal God. Therefore, as we now exist in creation, He is Creator God. He is Creator God. Verse 11 says, You created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Our God, the eternal God, is the designer of all. His wisdom is the wisdom behind all. He is the creator God. Now, I'm going to keep going with this. He is eternal God. Therefore, and also, He is creator God. Therefore, and also, He is almighty God. He is almighty God. Verse 8 says, the almighty. Now, what that means is, unlimited, unrestrained, unharnessed power. He is almighty God. The eternal creator is almighty God. I'm going to keep going. And therefore, and also, he is Lord God. That's what it says. He is Lord God. Also in verse 8, that word means he is the ruler of all. It means he has dominion over all. 
In wisdom, he designed it all. In might, he created and now sustains it all. And in unlimited harness power, he now rules over it all. Do you see how it builds on each other? Do you see how it is interlinked? Now listen to me. Are you still with me? So the consensus of heaven, the testimony of all creation, and the declaration of the redeemed of earth, listen to me, the point of this scene, the point of this message, the point to their worship, listen to me, it is this, our God is worthy. He is worthy, he is worthy. Our God, Lord God, you are worthy. He is worthy. And worship is our response. The four living creatures, he is worthy. The redeemed of earth, he is worthy. Our God is worthy. And worship is our response. Here's the question. Are you worshiping him? Today is your life a life of worship? Are you heaving him up today? Or are you somehow trying to bring him down in some way it makes you comfortable? Some way it makes you okay to go to the problems of life, the sins of life, not be too agitated by a holy God? Are you worshiping him today? Are you holding, heaving him up? Our God is worthy. Let's pray. During Father, we come and we praise you. We come and we try to picture this scene and we praise you, we worship you. We come and we see no righteousness do we have, no crown could we have ever earned. And yet in your grace, we wear the righteousness of Jesus. In your grace, we're promised a crown. Lord, we come and we worship you. We praise you. We thank you. We echo today best we can your worship due of you. Lord, you truly are worthy. Lord, I pray for us here that are believers. I pray that we walk out with a heart of worship. I pray that we go into a week with a heart of worship. I pray that we do business with a heart of worship. I pray that we endure hard things with a heart of worship. I pray, Lord, that we enjoy the good things with a heart of worship. Lord, you are worthy. And then I pray for some that are maybe in this room, maybe somewhere else, and they do not know you. And I pray, Lord, as they've embraced all the false worship of this world, I pray as their hearts are broken, as they stand in their shame of the sin of their rebellion, I pray that today they see the God that is gracious and kind and powerful and willing to save. And I pray that today they would trust you in faith. Lord, we come and we tell you we love you, we worship you, we thank you, we exalt you, we heave high your name. I pray in this time of invitation, as you have spoken, that you... Continue to speak, and I pray that the responses are for your name's sake and for your glory. Lord, we tell you we love you, we praise you, and we worship you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close the time of response, the time of invitation. I want to tell you of this great God, this marvelous God, as we see this picture, really as we can't fathom his greatness, I want to tell you the most awesome thing is his grace shown to us as sinners. You see, his greatness can't be known by me if it weren't for his grace. His greatness can't be fellowshiped with me if it weren't for his grace. And so we exist as sinners. God sees that. He knows that. He sends his only begotten son, the lamb of chapter 5. He comes, he lives a life doing what we were never able to do. He lives a life of no sin. 
Because he never sins, he goes to the cross. He's able to pay for your sin and pay for my sin. The Bible says he becomes our sin. He carries it there. He settles God's wrath. He takes God's wrath toward that sin. He settles it. He takes my shame and my guilt and your shame and your guilt, and he bears it there. The Bible says if we'll trust him, he'll remove it from us. He dies our death. They place him in a grave. Three days later, he walks out of that grave. He stands as the risen lamb, the risen king. The payment is received. He stands in victory. The Bible says if we will profess that in faith, what we believe in our heart, saying it with our mouth. The Bible says not of any work we have to do, not of any checklist we have to go through, not of any, any list that we have to impress anybody, but if we'll turn to Jesus in faith, he'll save you right now. He'll save you right now. That powerful, mighty, marvelous, astounding God in great grace, if we'll trust his son Jesus, he'll forgive us, restore us, renew us, redeem us, and save us right now. If you've never done that, do that today. If you've never done that, do that today. What a Savior. What a Savior. We're going to stand and sing. Listen, God has spoken to you. If you want to know more about this, if you're ready to trust Jesus, your Savior, you come. Let's talk about it. Let's settle it. If you're looking for a church home, you prayed about it, you come. Let's uphold his word until he comes again. You're here and you've trusted Christ, but you never fought in believers' baptism. And you'd say, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I want people to know what I believe of this Savior, my Savior. You come and we'll set a day that'll be a great day of testimony. Not as part of your salvation, but signifying, testifying to the greatness of the Savior that gives it to us in grace. You, you haven't fought in baptism, you come, we'll set a day that'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. We're going to stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here. You come on, I'll meet you here.